parlor. What's your name, little girl? Susan Walker. What's your name? Why, Chris Kringle. I'm Santa Claus. <laughs> you don't believe that, do you? You see, my mother is Mrs. Walker, the lady who hired you. But I must say, you're the best-looking one I've ever seen. Thank you. Your whiskers don't have those things that go over your ears. That's because they're real, just like I'm really Santa Claus. Go on, pull them. Go on, go ahead, pull. That's it! <laughs> and what do you want me to bring you for Christmas? Nothing, thank you. Whatever I want, my mother will get me. Sensible and doesn't cost too much. Susan, dear, I think you've taken up enough of this gentleman's time. Well, you just saw a clip from one of the great classics of the Christmas movie library. And maybe it's not one of my classics, but it's definitely one of the great Christmas movies out there, right? A Miracle on 34th Street. It's a story about a man who believes that he is the real Santa Claus, and he fights for that right, and he, he pleads his case in court that he is the real Santa Claus. Now, I'm not going to weigh in on the validity of that claim. I will leave that to the professionals. However, if you want to know more about the claims of Jesus, then I'm telling you, you've come to the right place. Because we are not entertaining the question if there was a miracle on 34th Street. Instead, we are asking the question, could there be a miracle on my street? On your street? Because just like Susan Walker, we have questions, right? And we can't help but have questions and, and to have our curiosity satisfied. I like her approach. Like, don't you? She just, she went for it in that moment. She reached in and just grabbed that beard and gave it a good tug, right? She was just looking for some answers. She was just looking for some answers. When I was a kid, I... I loved Christmas. Well, to be honest, which kid doesn't, right? Because as a small kid, all you're thinking about is like, I'm going to have all these gifts that I get to unwrap. So like most kids, I loved Christmas. Loved the idea of it. Was excited about it. Couldn't sleep the night before and would wake up super early in the morning. Some, some Christmases, way too early, according to my parents, where we started to make a rule about the time we were allowed to go downstairs. But I had questions as well. I had questions. Like, why does Santa know when I'm sleeping? How does he know when I'm sleeping? How does he know when I'm awake? And if that's all true, why do mom and dad seem so cool with that? That there's this guy who knows when I'm sleeping and he knows when I'm awake. Why do mom and dad seem cool with that? And you know as you get older those, that those questions, they change, right? They go from I want, what's under the tree for me to how am I going to pay for what's under the tree this year? And then as time goes, the questions get a little bit deeper, don't they? Like, how am I going to hold my family together? 
this Christmas? Is this all there is to life? When when am I going to get to feel happy as everyone else around me looks? Is this as good as it gets? We have questions, right? And just like Susan, we can't help but reach out for answers, except except we may become a little skeptical in the process, right? Like we see the straps behind the ears, right? We give a good tug on that beard, but it just confirms our suspicions, right? Fake. Empty. Counterfeit. We just want to touch something that feels real. So what do we do? We continue to reach out as we reach for whatever we can grab onto. And that's a dangerous thing in our world today. But we do it. Our world does it. We, just, we get to a point where we just grab out and we, and we reach out and just grab onto anything that's right there. The thing is, I think if we take it right down to the basics, we are looking for a miracle. We're looking for a miracle. But where do we find one of those, right? Where do we find one of those for us? I'm so glad you asked. I suggest that we go to Matthew chapter 2. And we might get some suggestions and some guidance and some direction in that. So we're going to look into Matthew 2. And we're going to look for a miracle of our own. This is what we read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw this star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Now you go and search carefully for this child. And as soon as you find him, report to me, so I too may go and worship him. And they had heard that the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. Pop quiz. I know you love those. How many wise men were there? How many wise men were there? You got an answer for that? Well, to be honest, we actually don't know for sure, right? 
It's generally assumed that there were three, but that's because there are three gifts that were mentioned. And we just assume each magi, each guy brought a gift. Obviously, these guys were probably married because I keep on getting reminded that when you go somewhere, you always bring something with you. So obviously, their wives instructed them, you need to bring a gift with you. Second question, where were they from? Where were they from? Where were these wise men from? Well, to be honest, again, we actually really don't know for sure about that either. Yes, they were from the east, but we're not exactly sure where, right? Some think Persia, some think India, some even think Babylon. But we're not really exactly sure. Last question. Are you two for two so far? Are you going to ace this quest? Number two, were they kings? Were they kings? Again, we're not really sure about that either, are we? There is some strong evidence that they were of the priestly class called the Magi, which means that they were skillful magicians or astrologers. Truth is that we're really not sure, to be honest. But one thing we do know for sure is that they were in search of a miracle. That we know for sure. They were so intent on finding it, they were willing to travel hundreds, if not thousands, of miles to find it. So they are searching. But where do they search first? Well, I want you to notice that as they follow the star, the first place they go to is Jerusalem. Now, why would the wise men go to Jerusalem first? Well, because they were looking for a king, right? Where else would you go if you were looking for a king than at the palace, right? So, these men are stargazers. They're looking at the star in the sky, a sign in the sky, and they follow all of the signs, they follow the red carpet, and it leads them right to the steps of the palace. And when they get there, what do they find? Or who do they find? They find Herod. Just another man. Just another counterfeit king leading a counterfeit kingdom. The prophecy soon sends him to Bethlehem, and what do they find there? Well, they find the true king, right? But where do they find him? Well, they find him in the arms of this ordinary girl, married to this ordinary man, in a very ordinary town, surrounded by ordinary people. The scene was just so ordinary. The Magi would find their miracle, for sure they would, but it wasn't where they expected it to be though, right? And isn't that just like God? We go searching for something, we think we know where, what's going to happen, we think we know the answers, and it's just not what, they, what we expect. 
That's just like God. To place a miracle right in the middle of the mundane. That is just like God, isn't he? Right? It just wasn't where they expected it to be, and they actually almost missed it. Some actually did. Unfortunately, some still do. And sometimes we can relate to that. We sometimes miss it, don't we? But here's the point in all this. Where the sacred meets the ordinary, it makes an extraordinary difference in the world. Have you thought about that? Where the, where the sacred meets the ordinary, it makes this extraordinary difference in our world. See, God answers the world. But he doesn't do it with a big show of force, right? It doesn't come with, you know, banners waving, bands playing, a parade happening, fireworks. He just doesn't come with this big show of force. God could have had a big entrance. Very capable of it, right? He easily could have come with a huge bang. But God enters the world. And what does he give them as he enters the world? He actually doesn't give them answers to all of their burning questions. He gives them something far better than that. He gives them himself. God gives Emmanuel, God with us. Now these wise men simply understand that God has placed himself in flesh and they just simply worship. Now, that simply wouldn't be enough for others, would it? John says in chapter 2, verse 18, it says, The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Can't help but think that I do the same thing today at times as well, right? If I'm not careful, I will find myself say, God, show me something. You're this big God. Show me something. If you are who you say you are, then give me something to go on. Give me a job. My health. That answer I'm looking for. A sign. And sometimes God does answer our prayers like that. But sometimes what we really need to hear is God saying this, I have given myself. I have given you my one and only Son. I have given you my Holy Spirit to dwell within you, to give you wisdom, to bring you comfort, to give you direction. Yes, you can experience a miracle on your street. It's because when God entered the world, he didn't just enter the world. God enters, wants to enter your world. He wants to enter your ordinary world. Remember, where the sacred meets the ordinary, it makes an extraordinary difference in our world. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12. Love this. So, so helpful. And I'm actually reading it from the message. And, and this is what it says. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. 
Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work. You're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. This is an amazing reminder for us to take our everyday, ordinary life and place it before God as an offering. God didn't just enter the world. He, enters, he wants to enter your world, your ordinary world. God wants to enter your heartache. He wants to enter into your mess of a family, into your sadness. God wants to enter into your success. He wants to enter into your financial tension that you feel, especially this time of the year. Bring your everyday, ordinary life before God. But how do we do that? Well, can I suggest that we make it our goal this Advent season to practice the presence of God, to be constantly and consistently aware of God being with us, to be aware that he is with us wherever we go. Talk to God. Practice his presence. Practice his presence, especially when you fail. Come before God and say, help me not to fall, but pick me up when I do. Because there's nothing I can do better without you. See, God wants to be involved in your ordinary, mundane parts of your life. See, the problem with the ordinary is that we just begin to separate it from what we consider sacred, right? We begin to think that God doesn't have any time or any attention or any desire to be involved in such things. So what happens? Well, we come to church, whether in person or virtually. And we have these great conversations with God. And we get so excited in these moments. But we leave. We turn the screen off. And then we hardly talk to him the rest of the week. Well, God doesn't have time for those ordinary things in my life, right? But here's the reality. He does. He does. He actually desires to be a part of all of those things. So can I suggest and can I even encourage you to take the things that you are already doing this season and to reclaim them, to look at them with fresh eyes, to invite God into those things that you are doing. Things like getting a tree or decorating your tree or setting up lights, or driving around the city looking at all the Christmas lights that people have set up on their ho- outside their homes, 
shopping and wrapping of gifts, watching Christmas movies. See, God wants to be part of our ordinary, everyday life. But here's the, here's the catch in all this. We, you, myself, we have to invite him in or he won't come. God wants us to be constantly aware of him because that's how we'll be aware that he's constantly aware of us. Like the wise men, look for a miracle. But don't look into the sky for a sign or a star. Instead, look to the person of Jesus Christ who made himself in human likeness and he humbled himself even to death on a cross. You see, there was a great barrier between the ideal and the real. And what God did is he destroyed that barrier as he sent his son into our world. But what about you? Have you brought down the barriers between you and God in your life? Because here's the thing, God will not force himself into your life. But here's the thing, he will also never decline an invitation as well. You just have to let him in. This Christmas, this Advent season, let the sacred meet the ordinary and then just watch how it will make this extraordinary difference in your world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the miracle of this season. And we're all looking for some sort of a miracle in our life that we can even find a miracle in the mundane, in the ordinary, in the very ordinary, every, everyday part of our lives. That we can find a miracle, we can find you, that you want to be part of that. Lord, I just pray, we invite you in. We invite you in to be a part of our everyday, ordinary lives. And then as we do that, we will meet you. And we will experience your joy in our life. So we thank you for sending your son and this miracle that we get to experience of knowing him. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.